Good morning, evening, afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. Welcome to another Android Central podcast. I am so sorry that we have been off so much the last month, but you know, holidays. Anywho, CES is in full swing or actually probably starting to wind down today since it's Friday the 7th as we record this. Uh, I am joined by Jeremy Johnson, the new editor-in-chief for Android Central. Hello, hello. And by Nicholas Sutrick, who had the uh, pleasure of very, very quickly doing a hands-on and God, what was that? 72 hours for the Galaxy S21 FE? Something like that. Basically yeah. the weekend. <laughs> yeah, but you love playing with new phones. Yeah, it's fun. What can I say? Yeah. There's certainly no complaints. <laughs> they gave you the black one, right? Yes. That is a shame. I mean, don't get me wrong, graphite looks okay for that phone, but if you're going to send out a phone, send out that lavender. I mean, that blue is pretty. Yeah, the lavender is nice, but that the olive is oof. <sighs> Yeah, no. <laughs> wow. I I've got choice words about that. I I have choice words for the designer that decided, oh, it wasn't bad enough that we put this on accessories and headphones and cases and things (laughs) like that. Oh, no, we're going to put it on a phone. Oh, yeah, it's 100% to complement the the Galaxy Buds 2, but... Just kills me. But um, the Galaxy S21 FE is probably the biggest thing to come out of CES this year, at least for us. There wasn't a whole lot of android phones there wasn't well there were some there were some uh there were a couple of smaller releases and then we had the galaxy s21 fe suck up all of the energy in the room um because this phone is way overdue like we were expecting this phone what six months ago and then first rumor started in i think august around the time the the full and the flip three were announced well i mean because it's literally been six months (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, because like we expected it to la- arrive like late summer around the same time that the S20 FE did in 2020. And then just the chip shortages and things just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And now the S21 FE is arriving as basically, I guess, the warm up act for the Galaxy S22 line, because we're expecting that to be announced probably in the next four to seven weeks so it's it's interesting to see this phone especially with the price point that it launched at i'm kind of surprised at the price it should have been a 100 bucks cheaper yeah and they're also keeping the s20 fe around for a while as well so they're they're all bunched together right there in the five to eight hundred dollar range yeah it's a little weird it's it's basically like for every 50 or 100 bucks there's another samsung phone to buy which I suppose isn't a bad place to be in, but, you know, features wise and everything else, it, you know, I, I'd rather buy a Pixel 6 for 100 bucks less. I just there's really n- nothing else to say about it. Like, it's just it should have been 100 bucks less. Totally. <laughs> it's 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 a nice phone. Um, I've loved using it for the last I guess it's been a week now. Um, I, I really have no complaints uh, other than maybe the haptic motor should have been better. But I mean. The camera is the exact same as the S21, which is funny since the telephoto camera technically is downgraded megapixel count because the S21 is 64 megapixels and this one is eight. (laughs) But quality wise, there's no difference. In fact, there there are several times where I took a photo at like 10x zoom or something in the middle of the day 
And the S21 FE actually looks marginally better, which, you know, in a physical sense makes no sense. But I think this is... Is that a a bit of the newness bias there, do you think, or...? I don't think so. Like, even if you look at the pictures, there it's a little bit sharper detail. I mean, you're you're splitting hairs here, so mm-hmm. it's you know whatever. But still, the fact that an eight megapixel camera can outshine a sixty four megapixel one in detail is bizarre. I really don't know why. It must just be software upgrades, because you know once well, again, sixty four you're having to do pixel binning. Yeah, but you know I would imagine in a telephoto camera the sixty four would take the cake because you have all those extra pixels to work with, especially during the day. I could see, you know, in lower lighting and the thing can't handle, you know, those conditions without a ton of noise and then it ends up scraping off the detail because of it. But during the day, just it was a bit surprising to me to find that it was on par and sometimes even marginally better. So, I mean, really, if I were going to choose an S21 and it were going to be a smaller one, I would pick this over the regular S21 just because, you know, you save a hundred bucks and you really only get slightly worse haptic motors what about the size i I know that it's slightly larger than the s21 yes Uh, is it noticeable worth noting yeah it's definitely bigger it's it's definitely noticeable so if you are somebody who prefers a smaller phone then um, you know that decision's been made (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you spend the extra hundred bucks to get a smaller phone and whatever weird universe that works in well no you wait two months and see what discount the regular s21 gets assuming they don't just pull it from the market entirely because it's just been so hard to find in stock i mean plus like i said in uh the video review for this that went live uh yesterday the day before carrier deals are going to make this much cheaper i mean right out of the gate at&t had it for like 540 i think if you do a, a payment plan which makes it like 15 bucks a month or something like that i can't i'd have to go look it up again but you know, it's it's cheap. It's like a hundred and something bucks off the already, you know, decent price for the phone. So definitely, you know, if you're on a U.S. carrier, carrier deals will make this a lot more attractive. Although the same can probably be said for a lot of other phones in this category. So I don't I don't know that that really gives it any sort of, you know, unique bias or advantage. When it comes to the, like the tri- uh, the pricing and the carrier deals. At the same time, the S21 FE is still not getting discounted as deeply as the S21 series. Like, AT&T will let you trade in, like, an old... Like, my parents... uh, My my little sister traded in a Galaxy S8 for a Galaxy S21 for free. Yeah, I mean, in that case, obviously... And that deal is still active, (laughs) by the way. Yeah, well, (laughs) then, in that case, there's no reason to pick this phone. I'm, I'm just saying, at full price, if you're going to choose between seven or eight hundred bucks, you know, I buy this for 700 and not even look back but carrier deals and that sort of thing are going to change the discussion so it that's the hard thing about these kinds of prices it's like it's nice that it's 100 bucks less than the usual s21 and you know that we're talking msrp is 100 dollars more than the pixel 6 but in reality most people are never going to pay that 700 dollars price it's going to be something else yeah, because I mean, again, why would you buy this for seven hundred when you can get the Pixel Six for six hundred, right? And arguably get a better experience. Yeah, I mean, all speaking around. of the Pixel Six, though, and Nick, you were talking about how, at least to your eye, the cameras on the S twenty one FE, in some cases, bested the S twenty one. I'm sure this will come out in your full review, but. Have you had a chance to play with uh, Samsung's version of Magic Eraser and see if like any of the software goodness or updates 
how that compares and competes with the with Magic Racer on Pixel Six? I have not used it on this version yet. Um, I have used it on One UI four on the regular S twenty one, and you know what what I put together in that comparison a few months back still holds true. Okay. Um, for the most part, Google's does a better job. Every now and then, Samsung's will do something better, but Google's definitely was the better tech of those two in particular. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that full review, but the S21 FE was not the only thing Samsung brought to CES. Actually, Samsung brought a lot, a lot of things to CES, but uh, we got to keep it to like the big headlines here. What, you don't want a bespoke refrigerator to match your bespoke Flip 3? Mother God. <laughs> Good God. I, like I also don't enjoy spending 10 grand, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, 10 grand on a refrigerator just boggles my mind, because I would rather buy a standard uh, chest, fr- uh, standard refrigerator, uh, fridge freezer with a chest freezer on the bottom and then the uh, dual doors on the top. And then I could also buy a chest freezer with the money that I saved. <laughs> And be able to make ice cream anytime I wanted because I would have somewhere to put the freaking bowl for the mix master. Yeah, and then you could uh, attach one of those Echo Show 15s via magnet to the fridge and have a similar effect. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of, um, I'm the Samsung new home hub. Some people have been talking about how they, this is what they wanted the Echo Show 15 to be, although this is not quite 15 inches. I believe. Wasn't this closer to 10? I think it was like 11 or something. Oh, 8. Okay. Yeah. Which I think is a much more reasonable size. But because the Echo, or sorry, the Samsung Home Hub is basically a tablet with a docking station, which Amazon has done that before. And I don't think it got enough credit for being as decent as it is. Uh, But having it be a Samsung tablet means that it's a sl- it's a slightly better quality than the yeah. Amazon Fire tablet. <laughs> Just it slightly. can do more because it's going to have <laughs> Google Apps installed on it. Uh, but I love the layout and everything that they have for like the actual home hub, like control everything in my home. Like the the layouting on that and the form factor, this is great. I need Google to steal this and do a Nest Nest or Pixel version of this. Oh, t- a little too soon for Google stealing jokes. Ooh, Is ouch. It? Ouch. <laughs> Ooh, that was nice. I like that. <laughs> well, since you made such a nice segue, well, let's we can go ahead and get to the Sonos Google Nest stuff right now and then get it out of the way. I mean, it's way, kind of the I, elephant in the room right now. Yeah. So, Sonos had sued Google claiming that the way that Google did its speaker groups and their volume settings infringed on multiple Sonos patents. Google countersued and said, oh, no, you're stealing from our pa- uh, You're infringing on our patents. And uh, Sonos won, which is slightly sad. I really had hoped that that patent would be invalidated so that way we wouldn't have to deal with the fact that other companies can't do group audio well. Because Sonos has trade has copyrighted basically the way you make that work. As far as I understand the patents that were in question. But uh, because Sonos won, uh, Google is going to be banned from importing devices that infringe on Sonos patents until they can get a workaround, which it looks like they already have one basically in place. Um, they posted this morning or last night on the uh, Google Nest community that 
hey, speaker group audio, you're not going to be able to do cha- uh, adjust the volume for the whole group. You're going to have to do groups, uh, gr- changing audio individually per speaker, which I'm sorry, that just really doesn't make any sense why. It ruins it. It, yeah, <laughs> totally no. ruins like, it. Like people are not happy. Like people are demanding refunds because it's like, uh, guys, we we got Google Nest product, like Google Nest speakers specifically for this. Uh, thankfully, stereo, I will say, thankfully, stereo paired speakers still get controlled as one unit, not as two. So that's good if you have the two nests that are uh, linked together. Yeah, that post, that explainer went up like hours out or within the hour after the decision was widely announced. So, you know, they had that in the can for a while. Yeah. I mean, the bigger issue there is just, though, that it requires all of the cast devices getting upgraded to a certain software level. And they're like, oh, for all of the Nest products, it's going to get there basically immediately. For anything that's third party or anything that's old, you might have to download an app in order to force an update from them. Or you might be stuck waiting for the manufacturer to update it, which... uh, I, I I know how that works for any audio video receivers that have Google Cast built in. It it doesn't. They don't get updated the way that they should. Yeah. So this... that'll be unfortunate because the volume stuff will just kind of be broken for those devices until they get the updated version of Google Cast. Uh, but there is an update that came back that is going to let you change the audio for whatever you're casting to... Uh, you're not going to be able to do it with the volume button anymore, which also pisses me off to no end. <laughs> That's so stupid. Because I'm just like, guys, no, no, no. If I am casting to one speaker, Sonos, like, no. Like, I should be able to just hit volume up and volume down. That should not be something that you get a monopoly on. So I'm really hoping that they have a more fully developed alternative to this soon because you can't let things like this break so that's if you're if you're if you enjoy google cast which i know that we are few and far between uh (laughs) if things start if things aren't working properly for you this is why and Blame Sonos a little bit for being, uh, but mostly blame Google for not playing ball when they should have, because you cannot jeopardize your product line this way. Yeah, especially as many products as this affects, because it's not just Google's products. Oh, no. I mean, this is this. It's this impacts everything. Yeah, it's And this is something that on Android phones, you're going to have to you're going to need an update for this. Like the update is pushing out to uh, uh, the update pushed out in the January patch for pixels. We don't know how long it's going to take for this patch to go out to everybody else. Or how long it's going to take to come to the Pixel 6, because God forbid we get our monthly update. Uh, Still waiting on the December patch. And now we're going to have to wait on the January patch. They were like, oh, yeah, we've uh, we've verified the issues with uh, uh, the call issues that we heard heard about on the Pixel 6 during December. And we found the fix for that. And that's getting added in. So it's going to be part of the January patch. And that's going to be towards the end of the month, which is a bummer because Google's whole selling point here is, oh, you're going to be up to date. You're going to get you're going to get your patches and everything first and the pixel 6 has not gotten a single on-time update since it launched 
Nope. No bueno. Mm. Yeah, if if nothing, there's your uh, <laughs> there's your reason to pick the S twenty one FE, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you really Sam- care Samsung's about it, Samsung's been better Samsung... and better about their updates. I mean, yeah. Samsung's been awesome about their updates. Yeah. Not even better and better. Like they've been killing it lately. It's it's nice. Even the A series. I know. Like they're getting everything updated. Like I feel like every day we run a new story. Hey, Android twelve is rolling out to this Samsung series. Okay, sure. This is. <laughs> This is a weird world, but sure, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm very happy to see that we are now living in a world where Google is the one playing catch up when it comes to updates. <laughs> yes, it's a little strange. It's 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 a very nice reversal from how things were four years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So I will I will definitely take that. Well, uh, although my was... fold three is still waiting for Android twelve. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Well, they they ran into some issues there. But speaking of yeah. foldable, Samsung brought a number of uh, foldable concepts to CES, and this is one. This was one of those things that I saw the press release and the assets that we got, and then I immediately was like, "Well, I really wish I was in Vegas. I would have loved to have like seen that and played with that." Because for the majority of the stuff from CES, it's like, oh, this is cool, but I can get most of the same experience from home so with a video call. Maybe this is a Nick question, but explain this to me <laughs> like I was five. It took it took you a while to convince me to jump on board the folding the foldy boy train, <laughs> and I get the appeal of the fold form factor or the, or the find in, and definitely the flip, but. I can't understand or I can't see where a trifold device would be useful. So explain that to me. Maybe if you're handing them out as like real estate pamphlets. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Really, honestly. That's what it looks like. Exactly. I'm I'm not even going to try to defend this one. This one's just weird. I mean, if you like it, sure, go ahead. But I think this one is I mean, it's more of a proof of concept that you can have um, screens that fold in different directions in different ways and multiple times, I guess. Well, it's also one of those things that if you do the trifold, that means you only technically need one screen and just different parts of it are active right. depending sure, on sure. what you're doing. But also if it's a trifold, that also means that you have a larger tablet real estate, uh, real estate to work with. So it's one of the, it, the trifold I could see being more of a productivity device than the fold. If for no other reason, then that means right. that you have a much larger surface area to work with and you just pair it with a keyboard and a Bluetooth mouse and off you go. Or I guess it would be nice, you know, the, the, the keyboard mode with the fold where you have it flipped up on its side and have one side is the keyboard and one side is the screen. This way you would have a bigger screen or a bigger keyboard. That would be nice. Yeah. There's a few scenarios where this would make sense, but I think this is, this is just such a super niche product. Like, maybe an enterprise type of product because if you fold it out you basically get a giant i don't know if it's a 16 by 9 aspect ratio but we'll just go with that when it's you know it's like a small monitor effectively by the time you fold it all the way out so i i could see you know if if you're maybe a little more mobile maybe like a mobile it person who's running around solving things and they got a little keyboard with them and a mouse you know they could pop this open next to a server or something and work on it if they have to do that. But like, we're talking, <laughs> I don't know, a very small number of people that would probably actually find this useful. I, I think yeah. some of the other ones are more consumer ready. And even then, like that that laptop one, well, well the Flex Note, um, it's basically a laptop size thing. 
that's one of those things where it's like, okay, this is cool that it's all screen and folds in half, but just like a lot of the other foldables we've seen like this that are laptops, that's really not useful. I mean, does anybody really want to type on a virtual keyboard that large with their fingers and they can't feel the keys? You yeah, know, no, they, that's... That, they have like a the... game playing on this one. I'm like, look, virtual controls already suck. I don't want giant virtual controls that are probably harder to use because they're huge. With the F- S21 FE haptics? Oh, gosh, yeah, don't even go there. <laughs> it's just, I don't I know. Would say I would the... the... The concept that I liked was the uh, flex uh, slidable, their rolling yes. concept, because that's the one that I'm like, OK, I know that that one presents more technical challenges, but that's also the one that makes the most sense, <laughs> at least in my mind. I think it was LG had the rollable, right? Yes. Um, what, last year? And to me, that was like the ultimate foldable, flexible, whatever form factor, because instead of having a hinge that you constantly have to open and close, I feel like that rollable just makes more sense from a usability standpoint. Like it's it's less um, it's less intrusive. You don't have to kind of stop, open it up or stop and close it like it's not quite as I don't, I, I'm, I'm again, that's back to the splitting hairs thing, right? Like, is this really a big deal? Probably not. But I feel like people will use this more than maybe folding open a larger device that looks like a laptop or a trifold or even the fold three or fold four well, when it comes that, out, right? Because something that rolls up and then unrolls, you're less likely to have creases in it or obvious creases in it at any rate. Because, I mean, if you get a big poster, it comes in a tube for a reason. Because rolling yeah. causes less stress, ideally. Right. So yeah. if for slide uh for the rolling or slidable foldables, those have the potential to be like, oh, we can be small or we can be be really big without having obvious creases. It's a ma- it's just a matter of durability and how much you can compress uh, and how much of a screen you can roll in and then unroll out before it becomes uh too brittle on the ends or it becomes too lopsided when you're using it in full mode. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see those. I want to see more of that concept than I want to see more of like the trifold or anything. Well, whoever yeah, whoever I does totally come agree. to market with it first needs to call it the scroll because we have the fold and the flip and that perfectly describes what those do. Yeah. So I'm, I'm picturing like, you know, papyrus rolls or something like that. Yeah, no, yes. I'm, I'm thinking that and I'm like, that would also make for some really cool accessories. Oh, yeah. Yes. Name it, name it like that, and then just make some cases that look like just like old school papyrus, yeah. <laughs> or like those old like make them look like the scrolls of Alexandria. Exactly. There you go. It's come full circle. Yes, it has. Alrighty. Uh, it technically wasn't at CES; it was in China, but we got the debut of the uh, OnePlus Ten Pro, which. That feels really early having it in, launch in January, but it's only uh, this is the version that's launching in China. This is the China only version. The Western version, we're still going to have to wait a while on, which feels weird to me because I mean, like, OK, you you've shown us the phone so we know what it looks like and we know most of the specs, including the camera, which got a, a full explainer today. So yeah. it's been interesting. This is a very strange launch. <laughs> I don't, yeah, no, it's it's hard to, to understate that. Um, I, it's just also really interesting to me. Go, Go ahead. ahead. All right. Um, 
Haven't they been focusing more on the U.S. market in the last few generations? Like, hasn't that been successful for them, or am I mistaken? Well, the the low to mid range has been successful. You know, they've taken the the market share a little bit from LG, uh, not quite from Motorola, like you talked about earlier last or later last year. But um, right, I still don't know that the the Pro series and the regular numbered series have been growing as much as they would have liked in the U.S. I mean, when it comes to flagship phones, it's just it's hard to muscle in on yeah. Samsung and Apple because they haven't. I mean, like even Google, Google had to really work to get the OnePlus six or to get the Google Pixel six and Pixel six Pro in the conversation. And even still, they're probably only selling about what the OnePlus nine series did anyway. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't really hear anybody talk about the Pixel six anymore in my, you know, non techie circles. I feel like when it when it first came out. There were several people who asked me, hey, is is the camera really as good as the ads say? And, you know, there were things like that that I noticed from people who don't normally ask about, you know, something that isn't a Samsung or an Apple phone. So that was a, a positive thing, at least for Google. I never hear that about OnePlus, though. Well, Google, uh, with the Pixel 6 series in particular, it, at least initially did a really big advertising blitz yeah, and partnered like, with the NBA and and other um, sporting events and things like that. Yeah, you, you never see, see OnePlus ads. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. And, and I think in many ways, OnePlus kind of lost its advantage, which was price, because of the way they went, you know, which super premium is fine and all. And, and again, another interesting thing about this is that they only announced the 10 Pro, right? It did not announce the regular 10. Yeah, I was going to yeah. mention that. That's an interesting yeah. omission or a new direction <laughs> Which, or, yeah. You know, I mean, again, didn't OnePlus also lose another significant advantage in the last year? Because OnePlus' software, like, usually it would, you would see a couple of bugs, but they would get fixed quickly. And now that OnePlus and Oppo have combined software divisions for phones, like, we've just heard nothing but problems with the Android 12 rollout and with everything else, just everything takes twice as long and it's half as good well and building building on that too the 10 pro is launching with a a version of oxygen os still it's not even the combined color os yet or whatever they're going to call it right which i guess is another weird thing about them launching this early like you would think they would wait until i mean maybe that's why they're waiting a little bit for a, a wider rollout you know could be yeah, that, that's well, that's very I feasible. Well, I for OnePlus phones, it was still going to be called Oxygen OS. It was just going to look the same as uh, Color OS on Oppo phones. They're supposed to be giving it a new name, um, so it, it will be something other than Oxygen or Color, from what I knew. So I don't, I don't know. That was my understanding, but yeah, yeah, I kind of feel like maybe some of that stuff is up in the air. I know there was some uh, turmoil with the the development team. Um, so <laughs> up in the air, was that an oxygen joke? There you go. That's right. <laughs> we'll go with that. We'll, we'll throw some hydrogen in there for some old school vibes. There you go. <laughs> now it's just water. There you go. Done. Yes. That's, that's what it'll be called. Water OS. <laughs> Look at this. We figured it out. H2OS. Right. Well, H2OS. moving from. <laughs> I love it. Moving on on from phones of dubious naming quality to something a little bit smaller. We had a couple of, there were tons of wearables at CES, but we're going to just talk about a couple of them because we only have a limited amount of time. And honestly, I 
I would go for hours if I had to talk about all of these and how much all of these, I don't understand why most of them exist. But uh, the two that I am super interested in is the Razer watch, even though it is a watch that is going to be definitely too big for my wrist. And it's still running Wear OS 2, which, but uh, but we do know that it's going to get Wear OS 3. It just won't happen at launch. But it's interesting to see because this uh, the Razer watch is a, is a partnership between Fossil and Razer and Razer and the design group. And there aren't a whole lot of like exclusive features for this watch, I feel like. Like apart from it coming with the Razer Green Band, which I feel like you can get pretty easily on Amazon, and having three exclusive watch faces, there aren't really a whole lot of reasons to get the Razer watch over any of the other fossil watches. So thoughts, anybody? I I don't have much to add to that other than to me, it just seems like another one of these one plus Harry Potter, you know, yeah, pretty much partnership things. At least with Razer, we know we're going to get like some like updates or some at least some cool stuff that works well. Like the uh, they have a Chroma watch face that you can have it. You can set it to be the same colors as all of the RGB that is pretty cool. setup. I, I do have to admit that is pretty cool. They're working on having it be an automatic sync. But right now you have to sync. Uh, you have to change it manually through the app. But it's it's still cool. I'm I'm still slightly jealous of that. But I also like that there's only. 1337 units available, which just (laughs) (laughs) makes me cackle. Uh, I love it. That's so good. Thank thank you, Razor, for sticking to your roots and being just goofy. It's great. (laughs) No, I, I, so at least on the surface, okay, I'm happy because this shows that Razor is trying smartwatches again, which, you know, it's been a long time since I've tried a Razor smartwatch, but the last one I used. At CES several years ago, I could have done without. So I I would like some obnoxious chroma LED watch with ridiculousness and LEDs everywhere. Give me that and I'll wear it. Like if I'm going to go razor, I'm going to go full razor. Yeah, you got the whole thing. In. Yeah, dude, just just dump it. Give me all the LEDs. <laughs> I want them all. It's like even even the, the face mask they have. I'm like, that doesn't have enough LEDs. Put more on that. Come on. I need more. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. Yeah, but you need to save some power in those tiny little batteries for the amp because you need an amplifier in order to actually speak through the damn thing. (laughs) We we don't need that. We just need lights. Only if it has evader mode. Oh, man. I mean, I'd I'd be all for that, (laughs) but. I'm, I'm, I'm like already all in. This is great. I do love those masks. It's it's just a shame that I can't justify them because I you can't wear them at Disney. Disney uh Disney's mask rules forbid anything with uh external filters. So Ah. That's <laughs> no fun. Which is reasonable because most people would just bring masks with the low grade filters that just they filter the air coming in but not going out and that kind of right. defeats the purpose. Exactly. Uh, Razor does it both ways, but at the same time it's one of those things of like I I get why the rule is there. It kind of blows though because that's the that that's the mass that it's like okay that you could incorporate into some really cool costumes for galaxy's edge oh just for like sure walking Basically. up as like a sith with all a red lgb or one of the rebels uh one of the rebel pilots and just have uh, having it uh flash the rebel colors around the edges that would be phenomenal i love it they I, I, Razor I, I did announce a new like version the, of the uh... mask at ces and i'm 
jealous, but also of the mindset of, I don't know how many, this is their third version of that mask, and I don't know how many more they need to make. I'd want a version that has the uh, the voice masking that Princess Leia had Return of the Jedi when she went to Jabba's palace. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, that would work. Excellent. Are we talking about the Scoggin one as well? Uh, yeah, just a little bit. The Scoggin one is basically the same specs as the Fossil Gen 6 and the Razor Watch because they are all built on the same Fossil Gen 6 platform. Uh, it's a slightly smaller size. Instead of it being a 42, uh, 44 millimeter housing, it's a 42 millimeter housing um, and smaller bands, which yay. Um Still not small enough for you, though, right? Yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I like the look. I like the direction you went. It's still not small enough. Like, I'm I'm dreaming of the days <laughs> we can get back to when we had, like, the uh, LG watch style. Like, the super thin, super small watches. Because that's what it's going to take in order to get most women yes. to want a smart watch that, and not just a fitness tracker. Yeah, because this... It, it's, like, I love my smartwatch, and my smartwatch is basically a lifeline because the way that I am, if I am not constantly using my phone, if I put my phone down and actually work, I do not know. I do not notice my phone vibrating or doing its little ding unless I'm listening to music. It's not just women, though. I've got I've got several friends I know who have Apple watches that uh, that are men that prefer the smaller size, too. Yeah, I mean... I'm sorry, but not everybody wants the Dick Tracy smartwatch. Like, I don't want to look like Ben 10 when I leave the house. I want a watch that actually looks like it fits on my wrist. So, yeah, agreed. yeah, we, we need we need more women's smartwatches and we need more women's smartwatches that are actually small, not just smaller, actually small. But that's miniaturization takes uh, time it takes re- uh, research and development and that means a higher price and most people are not willing to pay that which is unfortunate mm-hmm. uh, the other watch that we have is definitely a more feminine look I'm I like I kind of like this one the uh, Garmin Vivo Mo uh, Vivo Move Sport because this is a uh, smartwatch that doesn't really look like a smartwatch on first glance it just looks like a traditional watch. But then if you tap the screen, the watch, uh, the two hands of the analog watch move away and it becomes a touchscreen that you can use to see your notifications, change your music, monitor your fit, uh, monitor your workouts. So it that one looks interesting. I would actually like to try that one because it's got the more subtle, refined look. Yeah, it's an iterative update on a on a s- series that they've had going for a couple of years now and hybrid smartwatches are a niche category within a niche category but you know as we'll get to uh at the end of the podcast and what's making me happy smartwatches in general aren't and this is the kind of thing that i think somebody like me would actually like to wear yeah and i mean i i love the color choices here like the brown actually looks uh raw i guess i should call it bronze but the bronze actually looks pretty good the mint green looks amazing yeah that one looks nice The white looks like it would probably be a little hard to read because, I mean, that, that like, soft, off-white, like, very, very light rose gold for the background, and then you have white text. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's getting set up for, like, okay, is this a vision test every time I try to go and look at something? But uh, if they had this in blue, I would be pre-ordering it. <laughs> yeah, I'd get that mint green, but swap the bands out for black. That'd be a nice look. Yes, it would. But uh, it's it'll be an interesting one. I mean, it's still a matter of Garmin watches are great for fitness, but 
you don't get nearly as many apps and you don't get as much interoperability because it's Garmin's OS and not something like where where you have a good variety of apps. But it does plug into Google Fit, which is nice. Yes, that is very nice. That's part of the reason that I'd be like, okay, I would I would wear that on days that I don't really need the full smartwatch experience because it'll still tie into Google Fit and still I can just keep my tracking on one platform. Because that's the biggest problem with if you want to try anything else. Like most fitness, uh, you either have to stick to a brand or you have to stick to an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And for fitness and wearables, there's just too many ecosystems that don't talk to each other. And and then who knows what will happen, you know, with Fitbit and Google Fit moving forward. We've talked about that ad nauseum, but yeah. At the very least, this is going to be a very interesting year for smartwatches because of all the Wear OS 3 stuff. Yes. Yes. Looking I cannot wait it. for a Wear OS 3 watch to arrive, arrive with Google Assistant because God forbid that Samsung actually bring Google Assistant to its watch in a reasonable time frame. Well, speaking of, of Google Assistant and, and Garmin, the Venue, sorry, the Venue 2 Plus, uh, again, is an iterative update on a watch they released last year. But one of the one of the new updates to it is that you can choose um, various uh, virtual assistants. You can choose Alexa or, or Google Assistant or even Siri. And that is something that is going to be useful for the Razer watch and the uh, Scoggin. Uh, right. Because those are going to have the option for Amazon I was going to say, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, so I have yeah. I have the Scoggin. I got it uh, last week, I think. And it's funny because if you swipe over to your tiles, there's an Alexa tile. And if you click on it, it just says, coming, coming soon. soon. <laughs> <laughs> I thought was cute. Like, all right, well, something to look forward to on here. I guess I don't use Alexa, but, well, you know. Alexa's busy going to the moon right now, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's right. That's why, she's, that's why it's coming soon, right? You got to wait till she gets back. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, moving from, well, there is one more watch thing that I want to talk about, and that was from Google's little tidal wave of new features that are oh, yeah, going to yeah. be coming at some point during the year. But uh, you're going to be able to actually unlock your phone from your watch, which is cool. Like, not just keep your phone unlocked, but actually, like, put in your password or your PIN or your pattern and unlock your phone from your watch. So that's that looks cool to me. And I understand a lot of people probably don't understand why that would be useful. Um, But say you're on like a road trip or something uh, and you somehow don't use smart lock to keep to have the stereo, keep your phone unlocked, being able to unlock your phone in order to get the full Google Assistant commands, because there are things that don't work if you're not if the phone isn't unlocked. So being able to do that very quickly, like just swipe on your uh, swipe on your wrist real quick while you still like hold the steering wheel and look out at the road, it's it's a very small thing, but something that'll also be very helpful. Especially because this means that your phone, uh, your watch can unlock your phone, which can then unlock your Chromebook, which is something I use every day. God bless it. <laughs> um, you're also going to be able to pair your watch to have the watch directly. Uh, it also looks like you're going to be able to pair your watch to your Chromebook to have your watch unlock your Chromebook through Smart Lock. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that. If for no other reason than, as it stands, Wear OS watches can only basically pair to one device. Like if you want to pair to anything else for, uh, if you want to pair to another phone for basically anything other than maybe getting the time, like you have to reset the watch and set it up with the new phone, with the new phone. 
So I'm, I'm very interested to see the actual implementation that goes on there. Or maybe they're actually going to improve Wear OS to where you don't have to factory reset it every time you change phones, because that would be so amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes, please. <laughs> Jeez. Like, I don't know why that's still a thing. Why does it need to factory reset? What is the deal? Well, like, How and, many years has it been? <laughs> well, and for, like, part of re- the reason I love the... Um, Galaxy Watch 4 is because it'll at least back up some of your stuff. So you don't have to set up everything from scratch. Yeah. You just have to uh, redo most of it from scratch because it won't back up which apps you have installed, which that should absolutely be. That's pretty silly. But yeah, my least favorite thing about Wear OS every time I use it is the setup. Like, I just think if I were in the shoes of a normal user and I'm setting this thing up for the first time, the number of checkboxes you have to tap and things you have to agree to and stuff you have to click and other things that you're going to miss because you never open it and don't realize it should be running in the background is obscene. Like, it's just, I really hope that they make some of that stuff more automated in Wear OS 3 because it's awful in 2. Yeah, no, I mean, there's <laughs> there's definitely bad. still work there to be done. But considering we haven't seen a watch outside of samsung that actually runs wear os maybe right. a wear os 3 <laughs> device that actually runs out of the wear os app will have full backups this time Why wouldn't that be great fingers crossed please google please then that please. would mean that everything else has an advantage over the samsung because the samsung backups are incomplete it would also encourage people to buy more watches just saying google yes <laughs> going to be a good year for wearables. It's looking like it's going to be a good year for Chromebooks too, even though we didn't really see them at CES. We basically had, we had three, uh, we had three Chromebooks that people are actually going to want to look at. And then we had another couple that are like more mid-range budget, budget minded. But uh, we got a new Asus Chromebook Flip CX-5, which I can't understand why they put out another Chromebook with the same name less than like less than eight months after they launched the last cx5 it just blows my mind because it's not even like the same form factor or the same shape it because the previous one was the 15 yeah the previous one was the 15.6 well the first cx5 is basically the it actually no not basically it is is the asus chromebook flip um c536 they are literally the same product if you go to uh if you go to uh, acer.com and type in each one and get to their product uh, thing it's literally the same except for one of them has all of the awards that it's gotten so it's literally the same device but that was a 15.6 inch and the new cx5 is a 16 inch chromebook with a 16 by 10 aspect ratio i think in the hopes of making it a little less of a gargantuan tank to carry around because i'm i'm sorry i understand that people like there are some people that like big laptops 16 is a bit too much for carrying around yeah but um that's going to be running uh 12th generation intel alder lake cpus as is the new hp elite dragonfly chromebook it's nice to see another elite branded chromebook because we got one two years ago in the C-1030. Um, but the Elite, uh, the Elite Dragonfly Chromebook is going to offer a 1,000-nit screen option, which is great. Um, I'm hoping it's less expensive this time around because the 1,000-nit uh, screen option on the Elite 1030 was uh, 
1800 bucks, which was a bit Ouch. insane. Uh, but yeah, the, the Dragonfly is like a top in like Dragonfly is a series that like HP is known for, for its more like cons- uh, commercial and enterprise minded computers. So it's, it's looking like this is going to be a kick-ass Chromebook, but it starts at a thousand dollars and goes up from there. So uh, yeah, I'm that's my very biggest much... complaint with my daily Chromebook, the HP 360 14C. God, that's a mouthful. Is that it's got a beautiful screen, but it's dim. I think that negates the beautiful part of it for yeah, the HP. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> like I understand that, t- like 220 nits to 250 nits has been the norm for so long. Uh, we've started chipping away at that. The all of the Chrome OS. Uh, tablets that have come out in the last two years have all been 400 nits, which I am just so thankful 200 for. So dim, like, gosh, I, th- I think about uh, you know a Windows laptop. If it's under 400, there's no way we'd even consider it. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like Chromebooks, we have just been stuck in this 250 nit rut for so long, and because they're the same panels that everybody else uses, they stay cheap. So everybody uses them because they are cheap. Um, so I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful that we get more 400 nit Chromebooks this year because, um, the Ace, um, Acer Chromebook's been 513 is going to have a 400 nit display. It's the Acer spin five, uh, 513 is basically this Acer spin 713, but instead of an Intel, uh, Intel core processor, it's the, uh, MediaTek Campagno 1380. And what what's the expected price range on that? Is that a sub four hundred or sub five hundred? No, no, no. It it starts at six hundred. No. Yeah, no. That was that was my thought too. I was like, oh, this is going to be really cool if it's like at five fifty or five hundred. That'll be a great option. But no, it starts at six hundred. But since it's looking like that's going to be uh, available at Best Buy, it's going to get it's going to get a monthly up. It's going to get a monthly sale because every uh, every Chromebook at eight at Best Buy basically gets a sale at least once a month. Uh, so it, it'll be, I was so excited for that Chromebook and then I, I misread the price and then I read it right and I was like, oh, wait. This yeah, is that's be a bit weird. of a letdown. The, yeah, the Spin 513's price is kind of like the S21 FE's price. I'm like, you're, you're in a space that already has a fair amount of competition and you have a processor that on paper, isn't going to match up with the Core i5 and the $700 model. So I don't understand having the prices be that similar. Hopefully it's it's like you said with the S21 FE and with other Chromebooks like that is they're, they're giving themselves room to drop the price, you know? Yeah. Make it look like yeah. it's on sale. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what H, uh, HP has basically done with the uh, X211 and Mm-hmm. When that when it's when it's priced at four hundred, it's a pretty damn good Chromebook. It's just whenever it jumps back up to six hundred, it's like okay, time to nope. I missed that train. <laughs> I'll have to wait for the next one. <laughs> I wonder if that's a uh, managing inventory uh, component thing. Like when they, when they know they don't have enough components, they they bump the price back up, and when when things are flowing, nah, <laughs> nah. That's that's uh, we haven't met our quota. Drop the price for a little while. That's right. <laughs> sell a few more units <laughs> i don't know Th- those are always weird to me when they do that kind of thing mm-hmm. like this is this is regularly how much of a percent off like just leave it just leave it at the lower price i don't know i mean you got to be able to get money from the people who are like oh crap i broke my laptop i need to buy a new one immediately but for people who can wait there's like 
literally just watch the Best Buy Chromebooks page, you will see at least one of the good Chromebooks discounted pretty much every week. Sometimes it'll be an HP, sometimes it'll be an Acer, sometimes it'll be a Lenovo, but they they just cycle. <laughs> but um, moving on from Chromebooks with weird chips, well, I shouldn't say weird. We've had MediaTek-powered Chromebooks before. This one will be a new class of uh, MediaTek chipset for us to use, and so it should be more powerful. It should hopefully hold its own. I'm very much looking forward to reviewing that Chromebook, but getting away from MediaTek back to Qualcomm. Qualcomm is going to be working with Microsoft on chips for metaverse devices, which it hurts my soul saying that just a little bit. It just (laughs) dies a little time every time I have to talk about the metaverse. But uh, it's good to see that Qualcomm is trying to get on this early with Windows, although I do have to say, given Snapdragon's record, Qualcomm's record with wearables, I'm still not super hopeful. But with but with Microsoft involved, hopefully things will get done properly and fairly quickly. Yeah, this one kind of feels like an announcement of an announcement type of thing because there really wasn't much here. It's basically Qualcomm and Microsoft are developing a new chipset for AR glasses. So HoloLens 3 or, you know, thereabouts. And then their respective development platforms are going to be better integrated so that they can work together. And uh, that was pretty much the announcement. So it's it's not a lot, but it does show that, you know, they are continuing to work with more and more companies like the XR2 that powers the um, Oculus Quest 2, Meta Quest 2, whatever we're calling it these days. <laughs> um, that was sort of a joint venture between Qual- Qualcomm and Facebook. I don't, I don't know necessarily that it's quite to the same degree as this announcement was, but you know, I think it does show that Qualcomm can make chipsets that are good and powerful enough to be in this space. Although it, it will be interesting to see if they can make power efficient ones that are also powerful because like you said yes in the the wearables space at least you know smart watches wearables they've not exactly been great although i almost wonder if that's because they didn't take it seriously because that's certainly what it felt like for a very long time yes this is not worth our time so we're just going to give you the leftovers and yeah that should be good enough you know (laughs) that's that is always what it felt like to me until maybe recently yeah, no, it's it's been interesting to look at the wearables for that. But uh, you mentioned the Oculus, and we're going to hold right there because we need to go to a commercial break real quick. Oh, but yeah. we're going to uh, come back, and we're going to talk about the Oculus and the PSVR 2 and all of the VR announcements because I'm going to need you to walk me through some of these. So we'll be right back. Ah. Uh... I just love that sound. It means I've given in to temptation and bought another snug, snarky shirt or bought more vintage stoneware for my kitchen through Shopify. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big businesses. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere and can scale your business from startup to powerhouse. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. It means that when I come across a site that I maybe haven't heard of before, because it's powered by Shopify, I already have a login and my info is already saved. 
Even better, Shopify stores can enable Google Pay on their site, turning your retail therapy into one-click happiness and enabling me to go on a spree at Sockology for new knee-high socks. After all, winter is coming. Shopify powers over 1.7 million businesses, from first sale to full scale, allowing you to reach customers across social networks with an ever-growing suite of integrations and apps. More than a store, Shopify grows with you, giving insights and detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and more. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash ACP, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash ACP right now. Shopify.com slash ACP. Alrighty, so on top of all of the regular CES stuff that we normally see, there was a small tsunami of VR announcements out of CES between Oculus and PlayStation and Sony. So let's start with the Oculus side of things because it wasn't technically announced, but we got leaks for the release dates for the PS uh, for the Oculus Quest Pro and the MetaQuest Three. Sorry, I, I'm basically using those names interchangeably because it just feels weird to say the MetaQuest 3. I mean, in your defense, Meta is also using it interchangeably. It's still the Oculus Store. They still have Oculus mentions on the website and all over the place. So I don't think they know what they want either. Whatever. Call it whatever you want. <laughs> Everyone else calls it Oculus. In any I mean, case. Oculus is just, they <laughs> made themselves the brand for this thing. And then they're like, oh, no, we're going to change our name. Like, no, yeah, you, you have the brand power. You keep that. I, I, you know, yeah, I don't want to get into it. Never mind. <laughs> we'll, we'll save it for another time. We've already sort of Alrighty. had that discussion. So anyway, this one, uh, this leak comes from uh, Brad Lynch. He is a YouTuber. He's also an analyst. He does several other things. He is pretty reliable as far as leaks are concerned. Um, he has some information that says the Quest Pro is coming out in quarter two of this year. Um, that should be the same as Project Cambria, which was announced in October, the end of October, sorry, at, uh, no, maybe it was the middle, whatever, at Connect in October of 2021. And um, in a nutshell, that is not a replacement for the Quest 2. That is essentially what the PS4 Pro was to the PS4, right? They, they both exist. One probably just runs stuff in higher resolution, higher refresh rate, whatever. Um, it also has some interesting, unique hardware features, not least of which is the mini LED screen, which hopefully will be a black level improvement to the current Quest 2 LCD screen because the black levels aren't the best on that screen. We'll just say that. Um, that that was pretty cool. And then information about the Quest 3 Um he said that that's going to use a micro OLED, which we'll get into um, OLED stuff with the PSVR 2 stuff in a bit. But that's nice to see that they're moving back to OLED because, again, even though the the LCDs that they've been using recently are significantly better than older LCDs that had some uh, really bad refresh issues, the the newer ones still don't have the black levels of an OLED. And at least in VR, that is super, super noticeable. Like there's there's nothing to pull you out of something like a Vader game than, hey, look, everything in front of me is a shade of gray when I'm supposed to be in the shadows. So it's yeah, it, it's it. 
that's definitely a game where you can see the difference and you're like, man, this looks bad. <laughs> most games aren't quite that drastic because most games aren't quite as dark as those games. But yeah, it's good to see them moving back to OLED. Quest 3 is apparently not going to be even announced until Connect 2023, which uh, depending that would tip on a 2024 what... launch, wouldn't it? Um, it? It says late 2023 for the launch. So in the past, Connect has been more like August, September. This connect was a little late in October. Um, it's possible they could wait until then, but more than likely this is holiday 2023 release date. Not unlike a console, really. I think most consoles launch in November. So that's, you know, right in there with that, which given Quest 2's success this Christmas, I would say that's a pretty good road to follow. <laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting to see the pro. I'm still... I'm still looking for the quest version that is going to be like an, okay, this will finally get me to try VR and VR workouts because VR headsets was cool, but I still just can't justify the price when I don't spend enough time, enough leisure time in my apartment to justify it. Yeah, I get it. I mean, that makes plenty of sense. Um, Before I move on from quest stuff, though, two little tidbits that I thought were interesting. So in this report, um, he was saying that the Quest 3 won't utilize Snapdragon uh, XR3. Instead, it'll probably use a proprietary chipset that um, I almost called him Facebook, whatever, Meta <laughs> is is working on. Um, and then there was also the news yesterday, maybe the day before, um, that they stopped development on their own internal uh, XROS is what it was called, which would basically bridge all of their AR and VR devices so they could all run one OS. So I thought it was interesting that they're probably still, you know, w- they're working on that proprietary chipset to get away from Qualcomm, but they're likely not working on the OS that they were working on to get away from Android. So I don't, I don't know what's going to go on there, but I, th- I thought that was a fascinating little tidbit that came through this week. Yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting because anything that provides more com- uh, competition in that space, because, yeah, Snapdragon can do good work in this space, but they also need a little prodding in order to keep things fresh. Because if, sure. if there's no if there's no real competition, they don't have as much reason to push the envelope. Right. And, and you know, th- it said that this SOC is going to focus on a GPU that's better designed for VR loads, which that kind of makes me think of what Google did with Tensor in that, you know, instead of focusing on maybe general purpose computing and improving that, they focus specifically on AI compute. Um, and in a lot of ways, a lot of the specialty VR stuff and you know, a lot of the specialty gaming stuff on like the NVIDIA side um, that all uses AI to, to do stuff better than, you know, physically just pushing through it would do. So they're taking like a Google Tensor approach. That's essentially what this reads like to me. Well, hopefully, hopefully it works well. Because <laughs> right. if you're going to put a pro, if you're going to make a pro device and then put a brand new chipset in it, you got to have all of your kinks ironed out. Otherwise, you have what we have seen with the Pixel 6. This is going to be for, tw- you know, the end of 23. So they've got a year roughly to to get that done before it starts going into production. Yeah. Alrighty, so PlayStation VR 2, because people have been waiting for that one for a while. All right, so 
We still don't know what the headset looks like. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just Uh, leave with that one because we pretty much know not everything at this point, but most things. This was really the first time that they dropped a whole bunch of specs on us. Um, They had previously revealed the controllers, which look friggin' awesome. Um, The headset, so it it is officially called PlayStation VR 2. I I think we expected that, but it's nice to see them acknowledge that. Um, That still uses an OLED panel. Again, awesome. Very happy about that. Um, It's 4K resolution, so 2000 by 2040 per eye. So that's phenomenal resolution right there. That's like 700 DPI base or PPI. Sorry. Um, Very high. 90 hertz, 120 hertz refresh rate. Um, They said the lens, the lenses are an adjustable um, width apart. And the rumor was that there would be a physical IPD wheel on it, which makes me think of the Vive, which is definitely the superior way to design adjustable lenses. So I'm really hoping that's the case because the current PSVR, if you've ever used one, oh my gosh, trying to to calibrate your eye distance is fairly terrible. I mean, they did a good job using the the camera to actually try to measure it, but it takes so long if you're trying to give your headset to somebody else and let them play. They got to go in the setup. They got to do all this stuff. Like, yeah, glad that's gone. Um, 110 degree field of view. So that's an extra 10 degrees wider than the current PSVR, which is nice. Uh, I believe the Quest 2 is something like 90. So you're talking, you know, way wider field of view than the Quest 2. It uses inside out tracking, just like the Quest 2. So four cameras on the headset. The controllers would be um, tracked by the cameras. Your space in the room will be tracked by the headset. Um, it's actually got a vibration motor, so haptics inside the headset, which that was rumored. I'm really glad that's true because that's trippy, and I really can't wait to get punched in the head and feel it. <laughs> how is how is that going to affect people that have like motion sickness issues and things like I, that? I this is going to be one of those things I can guarantee you that you, people are going to turn off, just like people turn off haptics on phones, mm-hmm. just like people have to use different comfort levels in VR for different things. This will be one of those. If you're like hardcore into VR, you don't get motion sick. You turn this thing on, you get an amazing experience. Otherwise, probably turn it off because that's going to make <laughs> you feel weird. <laughs> um, it also has eye tracking using IR cameras, one for each eye, um, which, you know, that's that's one of those things that sounds really creepy. Um, it is used for probably two main things. Number one is um, visually it, they're going to use something called foveated rendering which um, that's used right now in certain things. It's actually used on the Quest, but in a static way. And basically, this means that the center of your vision is the highest resolution. So that full, you know, we'll just call it 4K for the sake of the conversation resolution. And then as you get out into your periphery, it lowers the resolution significantly. So like your peripheral vision will be like, you know, a 320 P image, something really, really low res because it's your peripheral vision. You don't need that to be high res. Um, and because they can use eye tracking for this, that center of your vision can actually move around. So um, whereas the, the current Quest one, it's just the middle of your display is highest resolution. All the edges are always lower resolution. Um, so it'll look better than that. It also enables them to have a lot better visuals on these games that use this. Sony said they'll use it as an input method. And then, of course, in um, social spaces, you can actually see people's eyes moving. So like if you're in a meeting or, you know, whatever other social space, 
you're actually looking at each other, which, you know, that's that's pretty cool. That's so definitely I'm not able to roll my eyes in VR is Correct. what I'm hearing. That's right. <laughs> and they will see it. There's the killer app. That's it. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I love that. I'm really happy with what they're doing, except for the USB-C cable, <laughs> which I'm glad there is one cable. I'm glad it is USB-C. And actually, several people have sort of wondered, hey, can we use this thing on the PC because it's just USB-C? Probably. I mean, the original PSVR, you can hack to work on the PC. So I don't see why this wouldn't work. But being tethered in 2022, maybe if it even comes out this year, just feels wrong. I, I've seen so many people on Twitter talk about this. So like, this is, I don't know, it's just, it's not a great decision. I, I think the only thing that could save this for people that, you know, speak in, in that type of language is if this headset were tiny. Because by making it wired, they're taking out the need to have space for a battery, the need to have space for all these other computational, you know, components that take up room, that take up space, that make the headset larger. So, I mean, I'm really kind of wondering if that's why they're waiting on showing the headset off because they've got this really slick headset that they're going to show us. And that's why they're, it, they're keeping it wired. But I mean, I <laughs> I'll, I'll take a wired but super light headset over a wireless but super heavy headset because i'm yeah. sorry that's that's another part of the reason that v that i just don't i can't do vr because i wear glasses and anything that is any headset that is heavy on my face is just going to be unbearable after about 30 or 45 minutes yeah i i get it and that that's what i'm saying i think if that's the case if it is super lightweight that is what's going to change the conversation and instead of being oh do you really want a headset that's wired still it'll be oh well now you have a choice between dealing with the wire and having a way lighter headset or going wireless and having a much heavier headset, which I, I think that's a reasonable conversation versus Sony just, you know, cheaped out and didn't bother <laughs> doing a wireless thing. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm really excited for what Sony's going to do. Oh, they also announced Horizon. How could I forget that? Duh. So <laughs> they have a brand new Horizon game. Uh, it's Horizon VR Call of the Mountain. Um, we got a teaser of it. It looks absolutely beautiful. I, it's it is also interesting to me, though, that they started off with a separate game that is specifically a VR game when um, the talk was that they would be moving to a more hybrid model, which means most of their AAA games would also be playable in VR. You know, so you don't have all these separate games. You basically decide, do I want to play this game in VR or not, and then you just buy the game, you know, or maybe switch between the two. So uh, having having a separate VR game was a, an interesting first announcement. But there you go. That's the first, I guess, official announced Sony developed VR game for PSVR 2. <laughs> maybe the PSVR 2 will be nice and light and will actually get me to buy both a console and a VR headset because... Well, yeah, good luck getting that a... console. Jeez. Yeah, that's that's the oh, other issue. It's yeah. good luck finding a PS5 still. Maybe by the time the actual device is available for purchase at like the middle or end of the year, they'll have hopefully ramped up production enough to not be as much of a pain in the ass to find. Yeah, because I mean that that's got to be killing Sony that they can't se- that they can't put enough of them on shelves to sell. Because yeah, that they instantly sell out and that's great, but that also means that there's people who are buying Xboxes because they can't buy a PS5. Probably, yeah. I mean, I don't 
I think that the Xbox is a little more widely available, but they also haven't sold nearly as many of them. So there's there's also that to consider. Some, something like a 5 million unit gap right now, if the last numbers are correct. So do you, it's probably a little bit early for the speculation. What are you thinking PSVR 2 is going to cost? Or do we actually need to see the headset before we think about this? Because if it doesn't have... If it's a wired headset so we don't have to have the onboard computation and batteries and whatnot, that could also impact pricing, right? If they're smart, it'll be 300 bucks. (laughs) Because that's what the Quest 2 is. I don't know. I mean, there really is no speculation right now. (laughs) I think the thought is three or 400 bucks, but that's probably more of hope than anything. Well, I mean, it's also a matter of PSVR 2, you're still going to need the PS part of the equation. It, yeah, and that's it. Like, it can't be too expensive. And, you know, in this one, um, so more than likely, it will ship with the headset and the two um, PSVR 2 Sense controllers, which um, it's, again, wonderful to see them shipping this. Well, okay, <laughs> I'm assuming they're <laughs> most likely shipping this with those controllers. I hope to God they do, because... You know, one of the the reasons the original PSVR was so held back is because it didn't ship with controllers. You bought the headset and you used the DualShock 4. You know, and then later on, you could buy the Move controllers or the Aim controller or whatever. But that ended up meaning that a developer who makes a game for the PSVR now has to support at least a traditional controller, which, you know, in VR is very limiting. And, you know, now if if they ship these with the touch controllers, which I I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. Um, that that puts it on par with a Quest 2 in terms of, you know, being able to move around, being able to interact with stuff. Um, these controllers have, you know, touch points on them for each of your fingers, so grabbing things in VR will be better. The triggers are just like the DualSense controllers, so you know, if if you're, it's got tense, um, it can push back on your fingers, right? I don't know. It just there's a lot of interesting things they're doing with their controllers that will translate very, very well to VR. And that's super exciting for me, especially if everything comes in one package, but it should just be the headset and the two controllers. So I don't see why they couldn't make it 300 bucks. Unless, I mean, whatever, I don't know. It's Sony and Sony can get greedy. (laughs) Yeah, well, the last time they tried that, it didn't do so well for them. So let's hope they learn the lesson. This is true. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, well, we're going to break one more time unless there's any more VR stuff you wanted to get through real quick. Oh, don't nope. any don't, more new don't games. give Nick that window. <laughs> yes, that's right. Nah, go ahead. Get out of here. All righty, cool. We're gonna we're gonna hop to break one more time, and then we're gonna come back with what's making us happy. There are two kinds of people in the world: those who already know how useful a VPN can be, and those who are about to find out. That's why we're sponsored this week by Surfshark VPN. It doesn't matter if you're at home, the coffee shop, or even visiting the amusement park, like me. Wherever you are and whatever you happen to be doing online, using a VPN, a virtual private network, transforms your internet experience in several ways. The first thing is that it encrypts and anonymizes your online data so that your internet service provider can't track what sites you visit. Private tabs and incognito modes don't do anything to mask browser history from your ISP. 
And if you're on public Wi-Fi, there's the added risk of your data being intercepted by hackers. Masking your IP address is essential to becoming private online. A VPN like Surfshark makes sure that your city, country, and download history aren't linked to your identity. Surfshark lets you use their service on an unlimited number of devices. Laptop, phone, tablet, desktop, PC at home, you name it. Your account is good to go for all of them. And another really cool feature of using a VPN is that it allows you to change your virtual location. Say you're traveling abroad, you can change your virtual location back to your home country and get access to the streaming services you know and love back home that might not be available abroad. Surstock has over 3,200 servers in 65 countries. We want you to transform the way you enjoy the web. Go to surfshark.deals/acp and use the code ACP to get 83% off plus three extra months for free when you sign up. Check it out, surfshark.deals/acp. One last time, that is surfshark.deals/acp. Thanks to Surfshark for supporting the show. Alrighty, so new year, new happy things. Um, Jeremy, Nick, do y'all have anything y'all want to share that is making you happy this year? For sure. Bonus points if it isn't CES related. It's not <laughs> CES related. So, um, we got into Demon Slayer last year. I don't remember when, at some point. Um, loved it. Totally enamored with it. Couldn't wait till uh, Mugen Train came out. Never saw Mugen Train because I, it wasn't in any of the theaters around here. Um, I never ended up buying it online. I learned... I don't know, three days ago that there's like six episodes of season two out, which I didn't even know it was out yet. And I go to look on Hulu and boom, there's Mugen Train and all the episodes so far that have aired for season two. So, hey, we started watching Demon Slayer again and I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> I need to finish season one before oh. I watch the rest of it. But I've 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 watched I think I've watched the first nine or ten episodes and it look and it's it's done very well. I just Season have so many long. other anime Season that I've like watched. like 24 episodes or something. It's long. It's not. It's only two cores. It's not that long. I mean, like, for anime, it's not that long. Well, probably. Because, like, if you want to look at long, look at One Piece or Case Closed. Yeah, I'm just used to Netflix shows. They come out and we get eight episodes a season. And I'm like, ugh, I want more than eight. I mean, they're all an hour long, but whatever. <laughs> they're not all an hour long. Eh, close enough. <laughs> but, yeah, that's... I'm always happy when I hear of more people enjoying anime. <laughs> there yeah. needs to be more of that in the world. Uh, Jeremy, what you got? Well, I was complaining a little bit before about smartwatches and how they're not really doing it for me lately. Um, and so one of our former coworkers um, got me on the, the G-Shock train again, the Casio G-Shock train recently. And I gifted myself for Christmas a, uh, I hate their names of their watches, but it's the GBD 200 SM something something they have different initials for different colors but basically it's it's kind of that old school blocky casio uh look that we know and love but it has just enough uh i won't even call them smarts but just enough additional functionality to make me happy in other words it can track you know steps and distance and that's kind of really all i want right now uh, plus it's the traditional watch battery so it lasts for a couple of years so i'm not charging it every morning um We'll see if I get over my grumpiness once some more of these Wear OS 3 watches come out. But right now, that's making me happy. Um, and then the other thing, I'm a little late on this train, but do you guys remember Andy Weir, the guy who wrote The Martian? Yeah. Or as I like to call it, The Martian. Um, he had a book come out last year called Project Hail Mary that I finally got around to reading over the holiday break. 
and it was really good. It made me so happy. And I, I finished it in like a day and a half. Um, so if you haven't read that yet, definitely check it out. And I learned from a, a podcast because I started going through it down a rabbit hole after I read it that um, I forget who the production company who's already bought the movie rights to it, but they've already got the movie rights set and uh, they've already got some of the cast set as well. So hopefully that'll be coming out in the next year or two. But that's what's making me happy. All righty. I mean, reading is always nice. I wish I had the energy for reading after work. Because we read and rewrite all day, and then I'm just kind of like, I do not want to read anything. Yeah. Well, see, I, I took the week off between Christmas and New Year's, and I, I read like five books, and I haven't read five books in probably five months. So, Yeah, no, make, it makes sense. Alrighty, so for what's making me happy, I'm going to jump back on the anime train real quick, because, uh, but I do actually have two things. But, um, but the first one is that um, a breathtaking anime film came out last year called Bell, and it's coming to the United States next week. Oh, yes. Um, yes, no, like the... the this is a beautifully done film because it's done by the uh, it's done by a um, filmmaker who did uh, did Summer Wars, the the Boy and the Beast. Um, it's he do, it looks visually stunning, and then the storyline is a little bit of Beauty and the Beast, but it's mostly about like finding yourself, and it's about about um, self discovery in a virtual world. And it's it just looks so amazing. And music is such an integral part of this of the plotline and of the movie itself. And they gave us a t- uh, they've given us like snippets of what the English soundtrack is going to sound like. And I've been listening to that on loop because it's addictive. Uh, but we get the soundtrack for that next week, too. So it's going to be so amazing to hear the songs done in English because the tra- uh, the translation and the renditions that they've done for English have been amazing. So that that's the first thing that's making me happy. The other thing that's making me happy is just being back home. <laughs> I went back to Texas for Christmas and New Year's. And as much as I, I love Texas and I love the people there, oh, my God, it was cedar season. And I am so happy I escaped. But, it, but at least we got to have our biannual pizza. Yes. It was nice to actually see a coworker in person. <laughs> that was the other thing I was really looking forward to at CES yeah. is actually being able to see coworkers and people who used to be coworkers in person. Yep. Well, maybe next year. <laughs> maybe next year. Or I can convince more of y'all to come to Disney and see me. That means I'd have to go to Orlando. Oh. <laughs> y'all both shudder. It's going to be like 75 degrees here today. That's not too bad. Yeah. Actually, wait, maybe not. I don't know if when our cold front is coming in. But it was like, eight, it was basically 75 degrees yesterday. It was perfect weather when I went out yesterday evening. Approval. So, yeah. <laughs> I know that I'm going to be lamenting everything about the weather in four months, but for right now, it's beautiful. Enjoy it so while you can. I'm gonna en- exactly. Yes, I'm going to enjoy it while I can and enjoy lower crowds when I can, although that's not happening this weekend because this weekend is marathon. We- uh, this weekend is the marathon. So, Are they making the marathon runners wear masks too or? Uh, no, not while you're on the course, I don't think. Uh, cause I mean, it's, it's one of those things. If it's hard enough to actually like get die. enough oxygen, <laughs> you would die. You would die trying to run a marathon in a mask. For sure. But for 5K, yeah. for 5K and 10, like I've walked 5K around the park with a mask on, did it in like an hour. Wasn't really terribly difficult. Uh, power walking is kind of a thing for me when I'm at the parks. But, um, but yeah, no, you're, you don't have to wear a mask while you're 
running the race because that would be an undue burden and that would prevent people from being able to finish. Um, <laughs> that, would, but, that wouldn't be the only thing preventing me from finishing, but yeah. <laughs> oh, you could come run a 5K or a 10K Yeah, I could do that. Me. The problem is you have to wake up at like three in the morning because they do these all before the parks open. Oh, man. Yeah. So that's um, I'm very happy that it's race weekend and I'm happy that they're doing physical race events again because they didn't do that last year at all. Well, they didn't do that last year until the food and uh, uh, food and wine half marathon in like October or November. Um, So it's very nice to see those coming back and seeing people actually being active at the parks. It also just also means that all the people who ran a half marathon or a marathon are going to the parks this weekend after they finish their race and, you know, recover from their exhaustion. So it'll be busy, but ideally it should be people who are vaccinated and super healthy and know how to socially distance. So I get to go back to the parks this weekend, and that makes me happy. Alrighty, so that is all of us. We will be back next week. I swear we're going to get better about not skipping weeks this year, if I can help it. Um, So we will see you then, I guess. Time is a flat circle these days. Sorry, folks. Uh, So have a good weekend. Have a good week if you end up catching this on Monday. And we hope to entertain you again with this. So bye. Adios. See ya.